0: in this church. And this morning, we also uh, want to thank you for other churches, um, not only around the world, but even here uh, in the Black Hills, who uh, share in the same gospel work and, and worship and love the same Savior. Uh, and so we, we pray this morning, in particular, we thank you for, for Newell Community Baptist Church and for the pastor there, uh, Walter Rasmussen and we pray for for him, even this sunday as uh, as he uh, leads that church, as he preaches your word, we pray that you would be uh, with that community, we pray that he would clearly uh, present your word and present uh, Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel and that uh, and that people there in that community uh, who might who might visit, who might step into those doors, would hear the gospel, that they would be changed, that they would be saved by the power of your word. And God, we know uh, that you're God not only of uh, of this church or even of of Rapid City and the Black Hills, we know that you are God of the whole world. And so this morning, we also want to pray for the nation of Syria. And God, for the for the more than 18 million people who live there in that majority Muslim nation, God, we pray for them in particular for an end to uh, the ongoing civil war and bloodshed uh, that's just continued uh, for so long, so many years. God, we, we pray that there would be a, a solution that would bring an end to the violence and, and would bring peace and stability. Uh, to that region. We pray that, that other surrounding nations, rather than getting involved and in trying to pursue their own uh, interests and agendas, that there would be uh, those, those other people, other nations who would come in and help truly bring peace and bring stability. Uh, and not just uh, for the sake of, of political stability or even um, of people's lives, but we pray uh, that it would give an opportunity for the gospel to grow and to spread, for the church uh, to have more freedom in, in order to, uh, to share uh, the good news of Jesus uh, with the, the many, many people there who are unreached. God, we pray for the Christians there and we pray um, also for the large numbers of, of those who have fled the country in, in, in light of the Civil War. God, we pray you'd be with those brothers and sisters of ours, that you would keep their faith strong, you would help them continue. To, to display the demeanor and the character of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of, of so much persecution and danger, we pray for the church there that they that they would be able to have a role in helping to rebuild that nation and and helping to heal relationships and divisions and wounds and God we pray that there would be an opportunity for the gospel to spread there like never before. We pray for revival, as much as we pray for peace. God, we pray these things for the glory of Jesus Christ. And finally, we pray for us, for South Canyon Baptist Church. We pray, uh, we ask for you to speak to us this morning through this final section of the letter to the Philippians. God, what a wonderful, what an encouraging uh, letter, and, and what a wonderful opportunity for us to be able to teach and to to learn through it. God, help us to take all the things we've learned, all the things that we've heard, and to to meditate, to continue to meditate on them in the coming weeks and months. Father, we pray we would not forget the glories that you have shown us in this book. And God, I pray you would be with me now as I preach your word, that that you would help me to do it uh, faithfully, And with conviction, God, pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in me and in us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there are 41 shopping days until Christmas, not wanting to incite panic in anyone, just a, a little friendly public service announcement, but I'm sure many of us are already kind of on the bandwagon thinking about Christmas gifts, you know, it's such a meaningful part of the season every year, but you know, it can also be fraught with, with complication gift-giving kind of has this maybe unspoken etiquette involved. And we all, we all know it. We all feel it. You know, what if, what if your friend buys you a gift and you didn't get them anything, and it's too late? What if you splurge on something really nice uh, for that, that person that you just love and appreciate, and then they give you a, a candy bar? Right? Or, or, I mean, when we have kids... It, it really gets ratcheted up, you know. Are are all the kids' presents? Are they equal in number? Are they equal in value? Have we added up the dollar amounts? You know, we want to be generous and loving and, and and full of the Christmas spirit, but we also want to keep things fair and equitable. You know, one of the greatest stories ever ever written about Christmas presents uh, is the short story "The Gift of the Magi" by O. Henry. It's about this young couple who uh, are. Are deeply in love and very poor. They're just struggling to cover the rent, and they each have just one prized possession. Uh, Jim has this gold watch that was inherited from his grandfather, and Della has just beautiful long hair. And so, as the as the story kind of begins, Della loves Jim so much she wants to get him something um, valuable and and beautiful, and so. She's willing to, to cut and sell her precious hair uh, in order to get a gold chain for, for his, his watch, uh, his, his pride and joy. Now, without giving away the end of the story, which you really should just Google it and, and read it for yourself. It's only six pages. Uh, it's masterfully written. But, you know, it turns out that for Della to sacrifice her greatest treasure for another ends up having unintended Consequences. But you know, what if there was, what if there was some way? What if there was a community that we could be a part of, that we could live in, where where no no matter how much you sacrifice, no matter how much you gave away, there was someone who was in charge, who was keeping track of it all, and, and this person had limitless resources. And so no matter how much you could give, no matter how much you could share, this This person, with just endless resources, he was able to give you back even even more. What if if every dollar that you you donated, every gift that you gave, was actually credited to a trust fund that was set aside for you to, to one day take over in the future? So, you know, you gave $20 to the rescue mission? Well, that's $20 just showed up in your trust fund. You bought a thirty-dollar sweater for grandma. Well, and thirty dollars more in that trust fund. Now that may seem completely unimaginable or even preposterous, but you know it, today in the conclusion of Philippians, Paul presents a vision of God's kingdom that's that's kind of like that, except for the fact that it's even greater. So turn with me to uh, the c- conclusion of Philippians chapter four. We're going to be reading beginning in verse 10. Verses 10 through 23, you'll find that on page 982 of those blue pew Bibles in front of you. So Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. "'I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity.'" Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church... Pastor Tanner took us through the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 9, and you know, in that passage, just nine verses, we had a litany of commands and imperatives. I mean, just to, to list off a few, stand firm in the Lord, agree in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always, do not be anxious, think about these things that are true and excellent, practice what you have seen in me. But in these last 14 verses, in the letter to the Philippians, there's a very different feel. You know, Paul doesn't tell the Philippians to do anything until, until all the way down in verse 21. In this concluding section, rather than giving a lot of exhortations or commands, Paul, he's, he's sharing about his own experience. He's recounting things that happened in the past that, you know, presumably they already know about. Uh, he's making assertions about present and future Realities, But but through all those things, he is still teaching the Philippians and writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's still teaching us. And you know, one of the biggest things that I hope you'll notice is that Paul's coming around full circle to partnership in the gospel. You know, in the very opening verses, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul thanked God with joy because of Philippians' partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And now here at the conclusion of the letter, Paul kind of gives us a little more detail about that partnership and what it looked like, what it entailed. And he specifically thanks the Philippians for their generous support. And he encourages them that just as they've supplied his needs, God will supply their needs by his abundant grace. And so if we could try to take what, what Paul is teaching, what Paul is is explaining and communicating to the Philippians and, and now today to us, I would I would kind of summarize it uh, in, in just this simple sentence. It'll be in your bulletin as well, and it would be this be content in every circumstance and generous toward gospel partners because of the riches of grace in Jesus. I'll just read that one more time. Be content in every circumstance and generous toward gospel partners because of the riches of grace in Jesus. And we're going to kind of break that down into our three points today. So first of all, number one, be content in every circumstance. It's kind of verses 10 through 13. So, so first of all, if we look at verse 10, right, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul rejoices greatly because the Philippians, again, showed their concern for him in a tangible way. And for Paul, it's not about the gift, it's not about the money itself. Later he says, you know, he doesn't seek the gift, but he sees their kindness that's expressed. It proves that they're thinking of him, that they have concern for him. And this, this sacrificial gift that they give it causes them to share in his troubles in a real way. And then note also in verse 10, Paul goes on to say, You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul's need was an opportunity for the Philippians to demonstrate their concern. And so I wonder, do you view uh, needs as potential opportunities orchestrated by God. You know, none of us likes having a need, and and really, most often we don't like sharing our needs because, you know, it feels vulnerable, maybe embarrassing, kind of hurts our pride. But, you know, it's important for us to let others know, and especially to let our church family know, because it it gives others an opportunity to demonstrate their concern, their love, whether that's through through prayer and words of support, or even through practical or material assistance. And so just as we, as we look at this, these opening verses here, just a little reminder, don't, don't rob your fellow church members of the opportunity to obey Jesus by loving you, their brother or their sister. Now as we get down into the real meat of this, this section in verses 11 through 13... Are we, are we just kind of listening to this interesting report from Paul about a lesson that he's learned? Or is it, is it kind of like hearing a friend tell us about this interesting self-help book that they really liked and then we can just kind of smile and nod politely? No. I mean, for two reasons. First of all, this is God's word. And so they are, as all the words of Scripture, they're divinely inspired words. But even more to the point, Paul just wrote Back in verse, uh, in verse 9 of this chapter, what you have heard and seen in me, practice these things. And even further back in chapter 3, 317, he said, join in imitating me. So this is an occasion for us to listen carefully to what Paul is sharing about what he's learned, a reality in his life, but to put into practice what we've heard and seen in Paul. Now, I think it's, it's really interesting to, to see how Paul describes learning to be content in whatever situation, both in plenty and in hunger. Uh, let's look again at verses 11 and 12. He writes, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You know, we need to learn contentment not only at low times but also in the midst of abundance and plenty. You know, we all know that it can be hard to be content when, you know, we can't afford to take a vacation this year or to get nice Christmas gifts for the kids. But do we all realize that being well off doesn't bring contentment? You know, there's this famous quotation that's attributed to John D. Rockefeller uh, where a reporter asks him, How much money is enough money? And the, and the famous answer is just a little bit more, right? Without God's grace changing our hearts, we could have a large balance in the bank account. We could have a massive house. It will never be enough. And what's more, we can't fix this on our own. And so for Paul, the secret of his contentment was that the strength came not from himself, but from God. So it's not about just becoming dead to emotions or feelings, disconnecting ourselves from, from real life circumstances. It's not a matter of, of our power of mind over matter. It's not something that we can accomplish by the force of our own will. No, it's, it comes from outside of us. It's by God's strength in us, his grace with us comes to active trusting in him. Now, of course, Paul concludes this section with the well-known words, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is one of the most beloved verses in the New Testament. Unfortunately, it's probably the one most frequently quoted out of context. You know, as we've been looking at Paul's argument You know, he's not saying I can do extraordinary things like I can win the gold medal at the track meet or or I can ace my history test through through God who strengthens me. Now this is not in any way to limit God. God can certainly you know enable someone to do all those things. But this is the thing. You've you've probably seen Philippians 413 on on an inspirational poster. I think I even saw it framed in, in someone's bathroom one time, but And at the bottom is Philippians 4:13, 4, and then maybe it's a picture of, of like a young guy like dunking a basketball or something like that. You know, this verse is about Paul's ability to be content in every circumstance, even in humiliation, in hunger and need. So actually, I think, and if anyone, you know, is a, is a photographer or designer wants to take me up on this, I'd say, you know, go for it. We can split the profits. But a more accurate poster would be, there's a boy, it's still sports theme, so don't worry, but a boy who's, who's sitting on the bleachers, games over, his head's in his hands, and the opposing team's kind of off to the side, carrying the star player on their shoulders for, for hitting the, the, the game-winning three-pointer. And this this forlorn teenage boy, he's the team captain. He missed most of his baskets tonight. He couldn't carry his team to victory. See, that boy, he can do all things through the strength that comes from Jesus. He can be content. He can have peace, even though right now it seems like his world just fell apart. Because his identity is in Jesus. His highest purpose is to know Jesus. So, I argue that's the poster that we should hang in our kids' rooms. I can be content through Christ who strengthens me. So, Christian, do you struggle with contentment? I think, I think we can probably all admit to that. I know I certainly can. Paul wants us to enjoy that peace that Tanner taught us about last week in verse 7, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding how do we find that kind of contentment? You know, we already mentioned this. We don't attain it by having more. You know, if we just had enough, just a little bit more, then we could be content. And you know what? God promises further down in this chapter. He promises to supply every need, but he doesn't promise luxury or affluence. Actually, he calls us to follow in the footsteps of our Savior, who, who Paul writes in Second Corinthians 8-9, though he was rich for our sake, he became poor. But you know what? On the other hand, we're not automatically going to achieve contentment by having less. You know, in Proverbs 30, verse 8, uh, Agur prays this prayer, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, having little isn't isn't going to just instantly make us more spiritual or holy. And, and Paul said, even in, this, in these verses, he learned the secret of facing both plenty and hunger. This, this secret superpower, this ability Paul had, came not from within himself, but through faith in the God's faithfulness and provision. So Paul could have a heart of contentment and peace in the midst of every circumstance because he had Christ and that was ultimately what counted for him. Everything else he had, whether earthly possessions or his reputation or his religious good works, he counted all of it as loss, as rubbish. And the only thing that, that shows up in that gain column is knowing Jesus Christ. So Christian, I believe the most important takeaway today for us is that Everything you need for contentment is already yours. It's already provided in the abundance, glorious riches that are yours in Christ Jesus. You know, if we wanted a, a short little summary of the secret of Paul's contentment, I think it's just his words in, all the way back in, in Philippians 121, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or even as we sang just a few minutes ago, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou, mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're, you're interested in the Christian faith, but just aren't, aren't quite sure yet, kind of still exploring it, weighing your options, I wonder... Does this strength that Paul describes, does that sound compelling to you? Don't we all at some level want this? The ability to be content, the ability to stay centered and and remain at peace regardless of whatever craziness life throws our way. And don't so many problems and heartache come often because there's something in our life that just becomes so important Maybe it's success, maybe it's advancement in our job, maybe it's a dating relationship. And then when we get disappointed and when we lose that thing we're so attached to, that's when life gets thrown off the rails. And people can end up turning to all kinds of harmful behaviors. It could be alcohol or drugs or gambling. You know, I think there's a huge appeal to this notion of just detaching from things in life. Of, of guarding ourselves from, from passion and emotion so that we just don't get hurt again. And, you know, that was the, the stoic philosophy, really popular school of thought in Paul's day. Freedom from passion and, and attaining an inner calm through self-sufficiency and independence, just having this attitude of detachment toward the things around us. But, you know... What's so striking is Paul uses some of the same language, even this word for contentment, that's commonly used by the Stoics, and yet he also turns the tables on that. You see, the Stoics, much like many of the Eastern religions, like Buddhism, they advocated for just detaching oneself from all desire and, and emotions concerning earthly things. The Stoics attained it through reasons. The Buddhist achieves it through enlightenment. But it's something that a person can attain. And yet, Paul has learned the secret to being content. And it's not through detaching from everything on earth. It's not through being independent or self-sufficient. The power, the strength, it comes from outside of Paul. It comes from Jesus, the Son of God, the one who means everything to Paul. Because you know what? The fact is, Paul isn't detached from everything in life. You know, it, it's clear in this, in this letter and in, in so many other letters as well, he has deep affection for the churches that he planted, even though they cause him so much grief and pain. And in, in the letter to the Romans, he talks about how he agonizes over his fellow Israelites who have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But you know what? Paul sees everything now, even the things he cares so deeply about in light of jesus christ the son of god this jesus died in his place purchasing his salvation providing a legal righteousness before god that's credited to him while all of his sins are paid for at the cross and this jesus then rose from the dead conquering sin and death and pain and darkness he was exalted to the highest place at the right hand of god the father and this, this grace that Paul received through the gospel, this good news, that's what motivates and empowers him to do everything that he does. It's what, it's what enables him to be content, even in suffering. It's his faith in Christ that changes his outlook on everything. And I wonder if you can imagine such a radical shift in how you view everything in your life. Make no mistake, putting your trust in Jesus, following him will change your life and in many ways turn it upside down. But you know, if Paul were here today, I believe he would want to echo the words of Jesus in Mark eight thirty six. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And I think he would also say, because he did in Philippians 3, he'd say, friend, whatever the cost... Wherever the path of following Jesus might take you, whatever circumstances you must endure, even if you lose everything else, if you gain Christ, you have everything. So if, if you are, are interested or just curious about learning more about what it would mean to follow Jesus, I would, I would love for you to come and talk to me, talk to Pastor Tanner, one of our elders here, We'd love to just help you in, in just considering, thinking through these things. But by God's grace, we can have contentment in every circumstance. We can also be generous toward gospel partners. That's our second point. Generous toward gospel partners in verses 14 through 18. What we discover in, in verses 15 and 16 is that the Philippians had a really unique relationship with Paul. Just read in in verse 15. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So from the, the very earliest days, when those first converts—you can read about them in, in Acts 16— but these first converts, including Lydia, who was a, a merchant of purple goods, a, there's a slave girl, there's a jailer, kind of this odd assortment of characters, they all believed the gospel through Paul's ministry. And, and this, this little church, this fledgling church, developed a partnership in giving and receiving— that Paul says here that at least at that time, no other church had. You know, Paul didn't accept money uh, from the Corinthians, for instance. He makes that really clear in both, both of his letters to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9 and also in 2 Corinthians 11. And, and this is interesting. In, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7, Paul writes Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. But the Philippians, in their unique partnership with Paul, their giving, it strengthened their mutual affection and strengthen their gospel partnership with Paul. And this kind of a partnership in giving and receiving, this, uh, sometimes it could be called reciprocity, this was, this was viewed in the Greco-Roman culture kind of as the basis of friendship. And we see, uh, again, just the nature of this going on in verse 16 when he says, "'You've sent me help for my needs once and again.'" Many times. And this, this kind of investing their material resources in Paul's ministry, it not only tied their hearts to him, it also tied, tied their hearts to, uh, to eternity, to their, their eternal hope. The way that Jesus taught, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Their treasure had gone to, to Paul and to his ministry and increased their affection for him, and even more so as it Invested in eternity, it tied their hearts to that future hope. Now, the strange thing is that normally this kind of a reciprocity, kind of back and forth in Roman culture, involved just that, the exchange of gifts and favors. But how does Paul reciprocate the generosity of the Philippians? Well, first of all, we have to consider that Paul, in his ministry, he's responsible for bringing them the greatest gift of all, eternal life through Jesus Christ. But it's not just that Paul has already through his ministry, brought this immense spiritual benefit to uh, the saints in Philippi. But Paul goes even further, and he argues there will be a reciprocity, and it will come from God. Paul won't be able to respond in kind with, with monetary or other kinds of material gifts, but God sees every sacrificial offering that the Philippians have made. You know, and Paul elsewhere, he boasts about the generosity of the Macedonian churches including that would have included Philippi. In 2 Corinthians 8, he talks about in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And again, remember in in verse 17, Paul says, Not that I seek the gift... But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Or that could also be translated, the profit that accrues to your account. Paul is concerned less with the gift, he's concerned less with his own needs. He's more concerned with the way their gift brings fruit that increases, credit, profit that accrues to their account. And this, this reward, um, this profit, seems to be a reference to their eternal Reward. Again, like Jesus taught in Matthew 6 about laying up treasure in heaven. Paul goes on to say in verse 18 that these gifts are a fragrant offering, a pleasing sacrifice to God. These are not atoning sacrifices that, that pay for sin because Jesus' death has made all such sacrifices obsolete. No, these are sacrifices that allow a worshiper to express costly devotion to God. And then finally in verse 19, Paul's going to give a confident assertion that God's going to pick up his tab. God is going to reciprocate all the Philippians' gifts to Paul because God himself is going to care and provide for them. And Paul says this supply of provision comes from the riches that are found in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our our final point point 3 because of the riches of grace in Jesus you know it's really interesting that the words that Paul uses if you if you notice this in verse 16 and verse 18 he says that the Philippians gave help for his needs he uses that word and then he says i am well supplied and so even though he's not able to reciprocate in kind He's going to say in verse 19 and 20, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this provision that Paul describes must include both material and spiritual needs. Material and spiritual blessings. Now again, we want to guard against a, a kind of prosperity thinking that the more we give, the richer we're going to be, right? Um, we may not always have everything we believe we need. Uh, again, Paul just got finished teaching this whole thing about contentment. But the idea, I don't want to minimize it either. The idea is gracious provision from a Heavenly Father. And I, I don't think we can help but call to mind Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, again in Matthew 6, where he He tells his disciples, if he clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? And he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, food and clothing, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so, South Canyon Baptist Church, to kind of apply this in a very particular way to us as a as a congregation, as a church, you know, next Sunday evening at our family forum as we consider our 2022 budget, I would just encourage you to pay particular attention to our witness team budget, these funds that are designated for for various missions and church planting and both local and global outreach, including, you know, in particular, uh, one global worker that we support someone who grew up in this church and now is living and serving in Central Asia. We have gospel partnerships with these workers, with these organizations, these ministries. And you know what? As we invest in their ministry, they can't reciprocate or pay us back with with money or gifts or tangible return in that sense. But you know what? The reality is so much better than that our investment in them is, is a pleasing sacrifice of devotion to God. And not only that, but as, as we are sacrificially giving and as they are bearing fruit for God's kingdom, that adds profit to our eternal reward. And don't ask me how that works because I don't know how that works, but not only does it add profit to our eternal reward, but God in turn promises to care for us, even as we care for our beloved gospel partners. And how is that possible? Through the glorious riches of grace that flow from Jesus Christ. So both the contentment that Paul has taught us about and the generosity that he's thanked the Philippians for, kind of held up as an example, contentment and the generosity, they're empowered by the abundant riches of grace in Christ Jesus. God's lavish grace flows down to us from Christ, from him who strengthens me. That's this vertical flow of grace. In order that we can be content, we can be generous, we can we can greet and welcome our fellow believers with love and with affection. And that's this horizontal, this outward flow of grace. So just look again at verses 21 and 22. Paul closes, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul instructs the Philippians to greet each and every saint individually because they're all in Christ Jesus. And Paul also says, all the saints with him send their greetings, especially those of Caesar's household. What an amazing thing it would have been! For Paul's audience to hear, these people living in Philippi, which is a Roman colony, and they would be feeling much pressure. You know, the the kind of possibility of persecution has been kind of mentioned throughout the letter, but they were under pressure to bow to Caesar as Lord. And to hear that, no, the gospel has infiltrated even Caesar's own household, his palace. And there are people there who proclaim Jesus as Lord. And that is the way that God works. Because because of the riches of grace in Jesus, even people in the most surprising and the most unlikely places will be taken hold of by the grace of Christ. And that's whether it's in downtown Rapid City, whether it's in Pine Ridge, whether it's in Central Asia, God's grace is powerful and effective. And so as we conclude This whole series in Philippians, church, rest in the riches of grace in Jesus. Depend and rely on that grace. Put all your hope in it. Rejoice in it. Because of the riches of grace in Jesus, the work He began in you will be brought to completion when He returns. Because of His grace, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because of the riches of grace in Jesus, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of his grace, we can count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of the riches of grace in Jesus, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. His grace... Is more than enough. And so there's no better way to to wrap up this series than just with Paul's closing words to the Philippian church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and all the promises in your word. And we know that all those promises find their fulfillment. They find their yes and amen in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be rooted and grounded in him. Help us to look to his example of humility and submission to your will. Help us to be filled to overflowing with that grace that comes from him so that we both know our acceptance and our belovedness before you, our Heavenly Father, and we are empowered to, to love and to give and to, to do works and to, and to speak with others and to, and to do the things that you call us to do, that you set before us, to do all those things with his character, with his mind, and that as we do that in unity, you will bless your people, you will provide for their needs, and most of all, your son will be glorified. We just pray all these things in his name. Amen.